We're starting things off with a word from our sponsor. Since 1998, DVD Netflix has delivered more than 5 billion DVD and Blu-ray rentals to movie lovers in every American zip code and to military bases around the world in their famous, iconic red envelopes. With an extensive library of titles from the early 1900s to today and shows from such premium networks as HBO and Showtime, DVD Netflix is a must for physical media lovers. Featuring a variety of different plans starting at as little as $8.99 per month, it's a great way to experience DVDs and Blu-rays with special features and commentary tracks you won't find anywhere else. A member for over 20 years, so well before I ever began working with the service as an official blogger on acting or as a DVD, Netflix, Twitter, film discussion host, I think it's a terrific way to keep our vintage video store memories alive and support the physical media that we love so much. So be sure to check out DVD Netflix for yourself at dvd.com. Now on with the show. Hey, this is Jen Johans at filmintuition.com and filmintuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 37. It's been a while since I recorded an introduction, but the reason I'm doing that today is twofold. The first reason is because I completely forgot to include kind of a major story involving my own fandom of Robert Downey Jr. and the role that it played in me becoming a film writer. And the second is I thought I would offer you a sneak preview of the episodes that you will hopefully be hearing for the rest of the year. I'm toying with the idea of taking off at least December, possibly January as well, to work on a personal writing project that I've been wanting to do for many years now. And I've decided it's kind of important to, you know, take some time and do that and also recharge. So these episodes remain hopefully as enjoyable as they've been so far. You guys have all been very kind in your feedback. I really appreciate it. And also because a close relative is planning on possibly having some surgery and that would be in January possibly. So I might need a little bit of time to take care of them for that. So I might be on hiatus between season three and four, but you have so many episodes to catch up on, look back on, replay if you'd like. And I can't wait then to jump into season four, but that's a couple months off. So here are some of the episodes you will hopefully be hearing in the rest of this season as I get them recorded. Scheduling changes occur as my very busy guests find their own commitments, uh, overwhelming them or fluctuating. And also topics change occasionally as they just did with one of my dear friends who originally thought he was going to come on to talk about one thing and did another. So here you go. After today's episode on Robert Downey Jr., you will be hearing Walter Cha on the Scream franchise, 
which is a really fun episode we decided to put together for Halloween in October. Then author Susan Elliam McNeil will join me to discuss her new book, as well as spy movies. Author William Boyle will be coming back to talk about the films of John Sayles in the 80s and 90s. It was really hard to limit to just five titles, so Bill and I didn't keep you guys for a week listening, or I didn't monopolize his busy schedule as well, but I'm hoping you're really going to enjoy that. The great Bilga Ibiri will be coming back to talk about Ray Fiennes when we did our Colin Farrell episode in the spring. We had so much fun talking about in Bruges that we were all of a sudden like, when you come back, you're doing Ray Fiennes. Actually, I think it might have been Bilga's idea, but whatever the case, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, the great character actor Donald Logue will be joining me to discuss kitchen sink dramas, which he totally got me into this year. I'd seen a couple, but with his sort of guidance and recommendations, I became a big fan. So I'm looking forward to that. Another great character actor, Alessandro Nivola, will be joining me. He is currently thinking of some topic ideas because he is shooting a project right now. And so he's been pretty busy with that. But He'll be here hopefully in uh, at least early November, maybe the end of October, but we will see. The wonderful New York Times bestselling author and one of my friends who wins an award like every two minutes. And literally, as I'm recording this, he just won another one in England. So I'm talking about Sean Cosby. S.A. Cosby will be back to talk about Adam McGoyan, the filmmaker from Canada. One of my dearest friends, closest friends, and a wonderful author in her own right, Nikki Dolson, will join me to discuss TNT's series, Good Behavior. I love a good sexy crime show, especially if it's female-centric. And this just got added to HBO Max. I was a big fan when it aired originally, so I'm really looking forward to that. And then Mitchell Beaupre will be coming back to talk about Willem Dafoe, who is a huge, huge actor we have in common, somebody we both love watching and have written about extensively, actually. So far for season four, we have Megan Abbott will be coming back, another New York Times bestselling author and friend, longtime friend of the show. Her episodes always do really well with you guys because she's so brilliant and fun. She and I are huge fans of Paul Schrader. So we're thinking that might be the episode to kick off next season with. So, you know, be excited for that. Walter Chaub will be back to talk about his new book on Walter Hill and some of Hill's films. The actor, writer, and creator of Mr. In-Between, Scott Ryan, will be coming back to talk about movies with us in season four. We had so much fun with him this season and actually the episode just prior to this one and talked to him about coming back. He was very excited. Another great actor and voice actor. I love what he can do with his voice. We have James Urbaniak coming back to the podcast. He's always very, very funny and also super game to like nerd out with me and get, you know, knee deep in research materials essentially and read things and really great conversations wind up happening anytime James is on. 
So I'm excited about that. We also have some spinoff series that were originally supposed to happen this year, but it's starting to look like they will probably happen in 2023. That would be with Blake Howard, our Midnight Run pod, which we're calling Midnight Run Through, and with Walter Cha, Hitchcraft, which will be walking you through the films of Alfred Hitchcock, two at a time, chronologically. So a lot to look forward to, and I really hope you will enjoy it. And now on to a story about my youth as a total film nerd. I believe I've already shared that the first and only time I ever got into trouble in school was in second grade. I was talking about movies during quiet time. The teacher heard me. I actually know what I was talking about. I was critiquing the film Pinocchio, the Disney one. And I don't know if the teacher was just irritated at my criticisms of Pinocchio or what the deal was because I was kind of the class pet otherwise. But that day she was not having it and I had to go write my name on the board. It was so humiliating. But I always loved movies, obviously. And in sixth grade, I had a big crush on Robert Downey Jr. I have no idea why. Um, I mean, not to say he isn't immensely talented and very good looking and charismatic, but as far as being like an 11 year old, I don't know what I would have seen with him in it that, you know, triggered that. Although I did have very, very liberal parents, especially my dad would just show us whatever. I mean, my mom would show us things and we could talk about it and it was always open, but my dad was just kind of free for all guy. So I'm not sure which Robert Downey Jr. movie like impressed me. But in sixth grade, I had a thing for him. And in English class, we were supposed to write a biographical paper on a figure. And, you know, most of my classmates were like choosing Michael Jordan or Madonna. And this was around the time that the film Chaplin was coming to theaters with Robert Downey Jr. And I didn't know a thing about Charlie Chaplin, but I decided to write my paper on him. I picked up his autobiography. I did all of this research and wrote like an 11 page, 12 page paper, like way too long. I think it was originally supposed to be about two pages essentially. And without even telling me, my teacher entered it into a district-wide writing competition because I had gone so far above and beyond. I even rented a bunch of Charlie Chaplin movies and got really into Modern Times, which is still one of my like five favorite films of all time. I remember I watched City Lights, The Gold Rush, just a bunch of his films and was writing about them and working them into the end of the paper, almost like an addendum. And so few weeks later, I was in gym class and out of the blue, I heard my name over the loudspeaker to come to the principal's office. And my gym teacher was so alarmed and she was so worried that somebody died because I wasn't the type of kid that gets called to the principal's office that she actually went with me to the office, like as moral support in case something just horrible had happened. And so I was getting nervous that she was nervous And it turned out that I won this district writing competition and I didn't know what it meant. And it was really cool because I realized from going to the event and talking to adults about my passions that you could actually make a living 
writing about film or this was something that existed. And film was my greatest passion along with writing. So the marriage of the two was a big deal. And I guess you could kind of say it was because of uh, my hormonal (laughs) adolescence and being attracted to Robert Downey Jr. that I figured that out. So thank you, RDJ. I'm not sure which film it was that first sparked me around 92, but you know, that's what it wound up putting me on this path. So I wanted to be sure to give a shout out there and let you guys in. Now let's dive into our conversation. Returning to the podcast today, we have a very talented freelance writer and lecturer specializing in women's surrealists and visual culture. Sabina Stent's bylines include Magnum Photos and Crime Reads, and she also writes a Substack newsletter called Love Letters During a Nightmare. Her next online lecture is for the Morbid Anatomy Museum, entitled Cinematic Surrealism in Los Angeles, Maya Darren and David Lynch. Tickets are available on the museum's website, which you can also find a link to in Sabina's current pinned tweet. Sabina, I want to thank you so much for being here. I loved covering generational soundtrack movies with you last year, and I'm really looking forward to today's discussion. But first, how are you doing and how's the year treated you so far? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for having me back, Jen. Yeah, we had such fun last time and it's it's such a pleasure to talk, um, to be talking with you again today. Um, Yeah, the year's been good. It's been, it's kind of strange to think it's October in a couple of weeks and um, it's, it's, yeah, it's just, it it just seems like the most bonkersly rapid, you know, moving year. Um, But it's, it's been good. I mean, I can't complain after. I think I, I, everything's good after the, you know, <laughs> the yeah. past couple of years we've had. Um, and it starts to feel, you know, there's, there's hope again. And I, I feel like that. I think things are starting to, it's been good. Thank you. How about you? How's, how things been for you this year? It's been really good. Yeah. It's kind of flying right by for sure. You know, the first part of the year was, you know, we were still kind of in it, but there there's hope now we, we have a new uh, vaccine. We're starting to get out there a little more. I traveled, you traveled as well. Uh, We both went to LA different times. We need to plan it. So we're there at the same time, Sabina. I'm, I'm there again in a couple of weeks, actually. (laughs) I'm going back again. I can't stay away. I think after like two years of not going, I'm, I'll be going, I'll be going back. So, um, doing some yeah doing some research again and uh trying to hit up some of beyond fest as well so i'm really looking forward to that because i've I've always wanted to do beyond fest um i usually go to the pordenone silent film festival um with our friend mariah gates um so yeah we usually do that but um we've been doing that online for the past couple of years and um I believe she's doing it online this year. Um, there's been no, you know, we haven't arranged to to go, but um, because of this, it's sure. always clashes. There's so many festivals on at the same time. There's London Film Festival, um, which I haven't been to for a few years because I I don't live in London. <laughs> I always go. I always miss the, the you know the nearest one, and I tend to go further afield. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing my friends again and watching some some great new movies this this autumn so yeah it should be good should be but we yeah we'll definitely have to plan it one time so we can both be in LA and go and see some 
cool stuff together. Yeah, I would love that. Well, we share such very similar taste, I think, especially when it comes to movies and some of our favorite actors. We saw that last year on the podcast. And then this spring, when I wrote a major piece on Elias Kateos, and you joined the chorus of Gen Xers (laughs) admitting that his character, Casey Jones in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was kind of an early formative crush. And today... Yeah, we're here to talk about another one, another great character actor from the same era who's still working successfully today, who we both love, Robert Downey Jr., a man who, as a child, first got his start as an actor in his father's hard-hitting or experimental works, and then in the 80s was considered, if not part of the traditional Brat Pack, then at least adjacent. He starred in movies like Weird Science with Anthony Michael Hall tough turf uh, with James Spader and also less than zero with Spader and Andrew McCarthy and the pickup artist with Molly Ringwald eventually coming into his own and receiving his first Oscar nomination in the early nineties with Chaplin. While this was a very uncertain time for him professionally and personally due to his decades long addiction to drugs, Thankfully for all fans, his family, and of course, Robert Downey Jr., most of all, he finally came out the other side in the early aughts and became a superstar. There's obviously a lot we can discuss when it comes to Downey and his work, and I'm sure we're going to be touching on much of it as we zero in on Only You, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Fur, Zodiac, and Iron Man in just a moment. But before we do that, I'd love to know what it is about Robert Downey Jr. that you think makes him such an exceptional and charismatic actor to watch. Um, I think it's one of these things, it's, it's kind of like the whole package. <laughs> if yes. that sounds yet yeah, a new thing. Um, I've I've said a, I've said a few times he's like walking charisma. I I just feel Ooh, that he can good. make he can make any role he just brings us um a certain charm a, a humor to it mm-hmm. um i i feel a lot of the times that he's also um i think especially the more, more recent things he doesn't seem to be like trying too hard if that makes yeah. sense i feel like a lot of the time i feel like he's riffing his lines or maybe his mm-hmm. um not so much ad-libbing because he's a, he's a good actors as we will obviously discuss but he just has um he brings such a personality to his characters and I think because of that um he's just endlessly watchable endlessly fascinating and I think um as we'll we'll be talking about in the case of um someone like Tony Stark who these characters on paper who aren't necessarily the most likable characters on paper and I mean there's a lot we can go into (laughs) he just brings this this um you know he brings his own history to the role he brings his just kind of um his humor his charm as we've said his personality his charisma and he just makes these characters these characters so likable and you're just drawn to them I think um because obviously it takes certain you know certain actors they just have like this this charisma some actors they they don't seem to have personality and I think he's he's also one of these generation of actors that they just had such you know Mm-hmm. they were just great it's a bit like when you're saying like the brat pack of he's kind of a, he's a jason but a lot of those actors they just have their own kind of um 
uniqueness and I don't think I think he's there's no one really kind of like him I agree uh, yeah if that makes sense yeah it's, it's very unique um yeah and, and it's filmography I mean not, obviously in recent years he's, he's gone um the superhero route quite you know to great yeah, yeah to great success and what ability um but I think choosing the films that we're going to talk about today, it was it was just like the range of this guy, <laughs> you yes. know, for something like Arbus, and then obviously you just something Arbus is probably a bit more similar to Chaplin, that kind of character. Mm-hmm. But then um, rewatching, um, I was when I was rewatching Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and you think, gosh, this is so different to like yeah. <laughs> you kind of. I forgot how kind of different the role is, mm-hmm. maybe compared to some of his other roles. So yeah, you forget how how kind of how much of a range he he does have. Um, and I just think he seems like you know great. He's good fun on screen as well. Yeah, he always looks like he's enjoying himself. He mm. makes it look easy. It's like effortless, even though yeah. of course he's an accomplished actor. He's incredible at what he does. But kind of like how Gene Kelly could get out there and dance and make it look like he was just sort of riffing or just coming up with it on the spot you know a lot of um, art went into these performances but he doesn't really make you see it like he's not Mm. acting with a capital a kind of thing he's just enjoying himself there's a vulnerability there that kind of creates yeah like an emotional um availability which some actors you know try to push down or have a bravado and that's really not him. And I, I think um, that was there from the beginning, I believe, too. I, I think also the fact that he's never hid his issues, his addiction yes. history. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I think um, if anything, that's it's been that kind of um, character, that personality trait has been in quite a few of the characters he's played. Yeah. Um, not necessarily problematic, just obviously there's something going on there. Um, in various ways and I think just the um his openness about it and his joke is even joked about stuff like that in the past I think there was there was a press conference um I think it was during Iron Man 2 and um there was a press conference I think it was Iron Man 2 um maybe three and um it was it took place in France and um Gwyneth Paltrow was you know speaking fluent French and he looked at her and he said well I feel like an idiot now because you know you went she went to to all her fancy schools and she's well educated and I was wet raised by wolves and they don't teach (laughs) they don't teach French in jail (laughs) which is such a good such a good thing to say and obviously that won over the crowd because he's just Mm -hmm. like well you know I'm not obviously as good as her but because you know, I was you know I was in jail for a number of years <laughs> yeah. and, and so um and I just think it's even just that the fact he just never tried to hide who, no. who he is and who he was then and 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 that yeah that vulnerability is is there and he's very open about it um and obviously in in and you see that in every and I think especially in his more recent roles you see that vulnerability even increasingly and maybe as it maybe it's even coming out more and more as he's getting older I think perhaps yeah. And, um but yeah is as you say he just is he's never tried to to hide who he is and he just goes with it he does I think we're very close in age I think I'm 
a little bit older, but we both remember yes. in the nineties, just how you, we were always rooting for him and there would be these oh, yeah. stories coming out in the news and you were always just so worried that, you know, the next story was going to be devastating with Robert Downey Jr. But he was like working through this at the oh, same yeah. time. And he was, I mean, a lot of times it was friends putting him in things because uh, he couldn't get insurance um, mm -hmm. otherwise to be hired. And so a lot of people did stick by him, um, friends, because they believed in his talent and wanted to give him a chance. And when you just look at the fact that he was still battling through all of this and some of the performances, you know, he was just somebody that we always believed in and we knew had it and we're rooting for and yeah it's just it's so good that he did come out the other side for yeah. sure because it was so I, scary yeah i think it may have been um i think it was at gothica or, or it might have been gothica that when he did that and that was one of his first films after yeah. becoming clean and i think he even for the for his payment i think he even said just pay me after the the film yes. he didn't you know instead of getting the money up front as as all you know as mm -hmm. would probably prone to to usually happen um i think he said well pay me afterwards just so i'm going to prove i'm not a liability and yes. i'm going to do you don't need to you know worry that i'm going to just take the money and, and mess this up i am going to yeah. do the job and, and i think even something like that just shows like um kind of you know personal yes. integrity and um just a strong determination yes well i can't wait to go into all of these and i'm sure we're going to reference so many other films just looking at his filmography while we were talking i mean you know we could have chosen like 20 movies but then i'd have you here for a week essentially <laughs> but uh yeah so this will be a lot of fun but first up we have one that I loved uh, as a girl, and I'm sure you did too, a gorgeously shot, old-fashioned, unabashedly sweet rom-com from Moonstruck director Norman Jewison, reuniting Marissa Tomei and Robert Downey Jr. two years after they were in Chaplin, which garnered Downey his first Academy Award nomination as Best Actor, Only You centers on a school teacher and hopeless romantic played by Marissa Tomei, who believes her soulmate is an unknown man named Damon Bradley. After she's told as much in childhood while playing with a Ouija board with her brother at age 11, now 25, Tomei's faith gets engaged to a practical podiatrist and puts some of these romantic notions aside until she gets a phone call from a man on his way to Italy named Damon Bradley, who's leaving a message for her husband. Sprinting first to the airport, then to Italy after him with her best friend and sister-in-law, played by the hilarious Bonnie Hunt, and getting her in tow, they go in hot pursuit of the man and find Robert Downey Jr. I've always loved this movie. I remember seeing it, I think, twice in the theater upon release, so I'm glad you chose it. What are your thoughts on Only You? Oh my gosh, I think I, I watched this so often yeah. <laughs> when I was, I think it came out, it came out in 94, was it? So yeah. Was it 94? Yeah. So I was, I was 12 when it came out and I remember like, um, rented, we rented it from the video store, I think. And mm -hmm. I just remember just, it felt like it, it was on most days. Um, <laughs> so it just, but also, um, 
well, my mum's from southern Italy, so I remember watching it with my mum and she loved oh, she it. Is. And so the location. So yes. she was like, Oh, I've got to, you know, I love this one because of the Amalfi Coast. Um, she's not from the Amalfi Coast, it's just you know, one of these Asian things. She's where from, is she from? from actually? She's, she's from Naples. Oh, okay, because so, my ancestors are from southern Italy, so I was wow. kind of curious. Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. Okay. That's so cool. Um, so, but obviously, like having this film on all the time, and it's just—it's as you say, it's just so sweet and it's so lovely. And Robert Downey Jr. is just—he just probably ruined men for like most of us. You know, obviously, like our preteen, like kind of, you know, coming coming of age in in that era. So, yeah, um, it was just like this completely charming, completely funny. I mean, Marisa Tomei is like absolutely gorgeous and cute and it's the perfect rom-com if yeah. it's a bit like you know what a bit like something like when harry met sally and you do you and moonstruck obviously but you miss these kind of sweet good funny you know romantic yeah. you know films and it just it just seems to be so innocent as, as well mm-hmm. um it's just, a, I think it, it's just that um, he brings that obviously that kind of puppy dog charm to the to the role because they're both so young in this, but it's just, it's there's there's also what was I can say, there's a, also there's something which I find a lot of contemporary films lack even in like romance or mm-hmm. you know there's there's heat between there them. is genuine heat yes yes yeah Such like, a love. yeah, yeah. <laughs> even Roger yeah. Ebert pointed out the kissing in his review yes. I mean it's it's yeah very good yeah it's 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 there and it just I think you have this you know combination of this very romantic thing and then you just have this passion between them yes. and you're just like oh okay um and so I think of like one for the 90s it's one of these very very um it just seemed to define the era but at the same time it's not maybe spoken about as much as some no. other rom-coms of the time um I just think it's just it's great it's it's as we said it's funny it's sweet it has a great cast everyone in this is great um and it's just you know it's one of these it's just a fan you know it's a fantastical thing because you know who hasn't said okay you know when you're young oh I'm gonna do Norwegian board and see what you know my <laughs> you know it's just one of these like fun um you know it's just good I just think it's just nice this is a nice film it's good it really is yeah I was going to read an excerpt uh, from Ebert's review. He actually gave it, I mean, this is rare to think about too, because usually critics kind of come down a little bit harder on romantic comedy, Yeah. but he gave it three and a half out of four stars and he called it an wow. endangered species in today's Hollywood. And that meant 1994, he even knew it was rare. He wow. said, it, yeah, he wrote, it is total fantasy, light as a feather, contrary to all notions of common sense, it features a couple of stars who are really good kissers and it takes place mostly in Venice, Rome and the glorious Italian hillside town of Positano. What more do you want? Movies like this were once written for Catherine Hepburn, Summertime, Audrey Hepburn, Roman Holiday or Rosano Brazzi, Three Coins in a Fountain. 
or remember Clark Gable and Sophia Loren in It Happened in Naples, there is a case to be made that no modern actors have quite the innocence or the faith to play such heedless lovers. But Marissa Tomei and Robert Downey Jr. somehow managed to lose all the baggage of our realistic, cynical age and give us a couple of fools in love. I can think of many angst-laden young Hollywood stars, many of them accomplished actors who could not have come within miles of the work done by Downey and Tomei in this movie. There is craft involved, yes, and even a certain inspiration, but what I reacted to more strongly was an ineffable sense of good nature. Tomei mm -hmm. and Downey seem happy in their being there and happier together than apart. That is what must be present if we're to respond to a story like this. And I love that. I think it's yeah, so that's true. That's so perfect. Yeah, there's a yeah, as you said, there's a lightness and yeah, there's a there's a happiness and you know it's just just a lot of joy in the world and it's yeah that that's that's perfect. That's just the perfect description of of the film. Yeah, Marissa Tomei was like my first favorite actress as a girl. Yeah, I remember that's... watching my cousin Vinny like twice oh, so in the good. same yes. day when I first saw it. I watched it in the morning. It was like a sick day, and then. As soon as like my brother and my parents got home, like we got to watch it again. And so she became like my favorite actress. And I remember being so excited to see her in it. I think they just match each other well. They both have mm. an energy, that spontaneity or seeming yes. spontaneity we were talking about where you're not quite sure what they're going to do next or they react to each other like they don't know what they're going to do next. Yeah. And I think it's it's so true. The cinematography in this film yes. is just stunning. It's by Sven, is it Nykvist? Um, who did some of the like Ingmar Bergman movies. So, mm, I mean, yes. the, the specs on this film. I also love the score by Rachel Portman. Mm. She did a lot of really good scores, like Chocolate is another one of hers. And, you know, so it just, it has like all of the elements going on that you're not really aware of while you're watching it. And then the cumulative effect, I think, mm. kind of casts a really good spell on you. Yes. I love the supporting actors like Billy Zane has like one of the funniest damn yes. <laughs> supporting roles. Yes. Oh my gosh. He steals that entire sequence, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And Bonnie Hunt, so good. Yeah, she's great. She is really good in this. She is yes. really good because um there's no one I, I sometimes you find in in films, especially there's all, in, especially in rom coms or whatever, even like the Billy Zane character, which is pitched as not necessarily the villain at one point, just but no. you know, there's, there's, but there's, you feel like there's no kind of villain in this, and there's no, no kind of, there's no one who's like the token character in this and everyone just seems to work who is in this mm -hmm. um there's nothing extraneous it's just you know it's it's and I think that obviously contributes to the the lightness of the film um it, it's just it's even the costumes are so nice even like Aren't just the they? clothes yes. great want some of just, those dresses yes, yes. <laughs> everything just looks good in this yeah. everything just looks so good sounds so good um and it just you forget 
forget when you rewatch it how good it is. I just think it's yeah. I think it's one of the best rom-coms there there has been and I think more people should watch it <laughs> especially if yeah. re- re-watch it or maybe watch it for the first time because it's it's just you know it's it's magical it's just really really good it is and it's kind of pulling from some of the archetypes and motifs from fairy tale I mean you have you know Cinderella. almost like a yeah <laughs> Cinderella with the shoe yes. and you're dealing with like a podiatrist and then a shoe salesman yes. and you know, I love that his name is actually Peter Wright. So yes. he's kind of like Mr. Wright, which is, yes. you know, so there's a lot of little funny in-jokes mm-hmm. and things that they're playing with that I think makes it very magical indeed. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Such a good one. Well, next up, we have the directorial debut of singular quotable screenwriter Shane Black in the form of 2005's dark neo-noir comedy Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which plays with iconic hard-boiled fiction character tropes and plot elements and salutes the masters of the detective genre. Most notably, Raymond Chandler in the film, partially based on author Brett Halliday's 1941 novel, Bodies Are Where You Find Them, starring Robert Downey Jr. as a New York burglar who winds up in Hollywood for a screen test after accidentally acing an audition. In the movie, he finds fiction a little too close to reality when while researching the role of detective under the tutelage of Val Kilmer, he stumbles onto a missing persons case involving his high school best friend and crush played by Michelle Monaghan. Hilarious, twisted, and at times ingenious in its plot machinations. I think it's a ball. So let's talk Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yeah. It's, I when you watch, I think this is very much a precursor to the um, the nice guys. Yes. In a way, I think it set a tone that um, neo noir, you know, Hollywood based neo noir. You have um, kind of a double act in, in yeah. a way. You know, you have the two man. It's a dark comedy. It's satire. It's funny. It's just riffing, as you say, on all these kind of detective tropes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just I think it's um I think even Robert Downey Jr. said a few years ago didn't he say he considered it the best film he'd ever done um Mm -hmm. I think at the time um it's a thriller but it's a comedy it just has so much going for it and I I think I just think it's one of these these ones it belongs in like a cat you know in the canon of LA neo-noir it does it's it's great, and I think if you were to do like um, you know, a series of Raymond you know Raymond Chandler kind of films or Raymond Chandler inspired films, as you say, you could put this one in there um, easily. Yeah, yeah. It just it has it's good. It's it's, it's just good. Th- it's a thriller. It's a comedy. It's a black comedy. It's a neo noir. Um, I really like it, and I think it's it's obviously it's. Like with with obviously Marissa Tomei later we saw her and Robert Downey Jr. again in um in uh Captain America you know Civil yeah, War yeah. and in and in this obviously Shane Black directed Robert Downey Jr. in Iron Man three so mm-hmm. you have like kind of these establishing patterns I think throughout his um throughout his career yeah um, people so, he enjoys and yeah. that are on the same wavelength. Yes. Yes, definitely. Um, 
but I also I was gonna say it's kind of what was I gonna say sorry oh you're fine it's it's um it's kind of and in a way especially now with the roles he's done he's done more kind of quite confident characters and in this one he doesn't seem he seems to be playing someone who's very insecure he's kind of um it's kind of as I'm not saying smaller as in you know as in a demeaning way but he just seems like a very he, he doesn't seem like the kind of peacock strutting around <laughs> as he is as um in maybe of, as we've come to associate him as in in Iron Man in, in even Zodiac um and even yeah. in, in only you when he has this confident demeanor and in this one it's like the uh, the flip side of the coin and I think that's really interesting to show that vulnerability that obviously we were talking about earlier um and just to see him maybe do something that I'm not saying out not necessarily out of his comfort zone but just show like the range he has I agree with you yeah and it's totally you know shane black kind of doing that you brought up really wisely that it's sort of a double act or a buddy thing and of course you think of like lethal weapon with shane black but after long his good night didn't do very well he wanted to get out of writing action for a little while he actually wanted Mm -hmm. to write a romantic comedy and um that's what this is that's ways. what he it's was going for is. yes yeah and so he was working with or kind of like consulting um as almost it sounds like as a mentor sort of uh mm. james l brooks who i love his work and he showed him the rom-com just straight rom-com he was writing and it didn't really work for him so he was putting in other elements and it kind of clicked when I think it was Brooks told him, if you're writing like a detective thing, put sort of a character like, you know, using another Brooks movie, he said, like Jack Nicholson's character from As Good As It Gets, but in Chinatown, instead of like Jack in Chinatown, like flip the Jacks. And so that sort of like hit on something for Shane Black. And so he did kind of have this messier character in uh, a Chinatown sort of world for uh, Robert Downey Jr. And it's kind of perfect for him because Mm. this was, you know, he had gotten clean, but he was still sort of coming back. And this movie kind of, I think, taps into that a little bit. He's so, um, he has such verbal dexterity as an actor and he's uh, like the lines, because it is Shane Black are just so clever. And he's able to, you know, spit them out so quickly. And uh, the interplay with Val Kilmer, who is just goddamn hilarious in this movie. Oh, he oh, is my very good in this. <laughs> yeah, he had always wanted to do a comedy, I guess. And so I'm so glad that he finally was able to show this really funny side of himself and kind of also tap into the, you know, like Iceman kind of um elements that you think of when you think Val Kilmer I love that it's a gay guy who's the toughest one in the movie and I think that is a nice little um against the stereotypes and uh Black doing that Monaghan is good we have to kind of like ignore the fact that of course she would there's no high school on planet earth where they would have been in the same class together because she's too young but we just ignore that whole thing (laughs) forget that yeah yes they're (laughs) just so good together and 
I think this movie's great. I actually prefer it to the nice guys, but I need to see the nice guys again because it's yeah. been a while. I yeah, enjoy that movie. But it's yeah. good. Yeah. Yes. It makes a really good double bill. Someone should like maybe double bill this. Yeah. Maybe like then, you know, someone like the new Bentley or something like that. Let's that program it and go to yeah. LA. Yes. Yeah, we should do that. <laughs> we should do that. But again, it's like the kind of a bit like even in the nice guys with with the Ryan Gosling character, it's kind of the toys with like um stereotypical masculinity yeah. in, in in very much. And which is great because obviously we we start kind of like these very macho detective characters yes. that we've seen in certain films and this stereotype that if you're you know a cop you have to be this way and in this and it's it's just it I just like things like when they maybe flip the switch a little bit and do something um a little bit um you know just toy with with that whole you know um you know nothing you know, you know, play because play outside the box. Uh, yes. As it were. Um, but as you say, it's a really, as you say, it's a, it's a, it just has these elements to it that when you were saying about Chinatown, you think, oh yeah, I really can see that now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> does that make <laughs> such sense? Um, yeah. I, this is also, um, it's one of these ones that I, don't, I haven't, I, I hadn't seen it for for quite a while, and. It still hits all the right notes. <laughs> it just, yeah. it just, it just feels like a really good. Um, I think, isn't it one of these films that is it? Is it? Am I completely wrong? Was it one one of these films considered a Christmas film because it is a Christmas film as well? Yeah, Shane Black does uh, that. He loves he does, having uh, Christmas. As yeah. Well. Like even Iron Man three, yeah, he at Christmas. Yeah, yep. there was. Yeah, I was just gonna. Say, I was just gonna say that. So <laughs> you think, oh, because I, I always think like it seems to be on Twitter when it's around Christmas time. People are, are saying, "I'm watching Kiss Kiss Bang Bang" because it's a Christmas film. Yeah, and and it and it definitely is, and it should go on. You know, should go on on my Christmas rotation a lot more than it has <laughs> in the past. The um, new canon of Christmas movies. Yeah. Yes, definitely. But yes, it's a good one. It's a real good one. And it's just nice to see um these two kind of obviously two 80s actors, you know, came up yeah. starting the 80s working together. And and yeah, and Val Kilmer, as you say, he's he is so good. <laughs> he's just he so is. And the mystery, I think, is just insanely clever. Like, you know, it had been a little bit since I I used to watch this thing all the time, but Mm. I think it had been a year, year and a half, two years, um, because I I do think it's very ingenious. And watching it again, it's like, you know, you have your A plot and your B plot, and you know they're going to link up, but you're not sure how. And uh, yeah, I think if you're a fan of mysteries or you're, uh, I know a lot of crime writers, this is a movie to kind of watch it. It does take some of the, you know, convoluted things from a Raymond Chandler and pieces them together, but does it very seamlessly and naturally. And also riffing on the genre, which I like, you know, like at the end, uh, but he makes a joke about how he hates it when he watches a movie and like everybody lives or, you know, let's bring everybody back or he didn't die. And then they they let people walk in, which is kind of a, a Shane Black sort of thing to do where it's making fun of the, the genre he's working in or, um, you know, commenting on it. And I just think it's it's a very sharp movie. Yes. Very sharp. Yeah. I was thinking if it, there was any other Shane Black films that it kind of reminds me of, but I think 
nice guys I probably think, just yeah probably the nice yeah probably, even something like yeah I was gonna say not this I always forget that Shane Black's associated with that last action hero because again that's like tongue-in-cheek you know yeah that's the, true kind of action things um and he's he's very good at that he's just very good at maybe teasing mm-hmm. these these things yeah 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 Yeah. it's like know the rules and then break them exactly yes (laughs) yeah break your break your own rules yes (laughs) yeah yeah so true well next up sabina i'll let you take it away on fur okay uh loosely based on the imagery of american photographer diane arbus who was famed for capturing marginalized and malign groups of societies in their homes and environments for an imaginary portrait of diane arbus is not so much a biographical depiction of the acclaimed photographer's life but inspired by her work and imagery Nicole Kidman stars as a wealthy housewife, also named Diane Arbus, who who increasingly frustrated with her lot, falls for charismatic wig maker Lionel Sweeney, Robert Downey Jr., a man who suffers from a condition called hypertrichosis, so Mm -hmm. he is covered in fur or hair. Um, through Lionel, Diane sees her community and social circle expand and and she starts picking up the camera she once neglected and meets the individuals who would appear in some of her most famous works. And so that's kind of her. That's her. I love this one. I think it's a great, I love the imagery of this film. Um, I think Nicole's great. I she like is so good. Yes, so good. Mm-hmm. I like the way it unfolds because I think at first you're thinking, well, I'm not sure I'm seeing Arbus in this. Um, yeah. and, if, and if you're familiar with any of her photography, you will start to see it unfold. And I think that becomes more apparent the more she, um, due to her involvement with Lionel um the costumes are great absolutely the fantastic costumes and you can start as you watch this you start to match up the characters in the film with her um photographs um which I found really I really enjoyed doing that so I think imagery wise this is fantastic um Nicole is great um Ty is it Ty Burr Type the um yeah. who played Phil Dumpy. So good, right? He's great. I I totally blanked on him being this. Um, because obviously you, you think of him mostly as Phil Dumpy, yeah, as this sort of, you know, yeah. yeah, as this sort of um, you know, kind of um, you know, overgrown, <laughs> you know, yeah. teenager in a way. He was married, you know, married with kids, but he was just like a fun person. In this, he's yeah. he's playing her, an acclaimed photographer, and he's he's so good in this. And obviously, the more um, Diane and, and Lionel kind of start to, you know, form this this um, friendship, this relationship, the more kind of increasingly, you know, disconnected he becomes, and. I think they work. She she works really well with him. Nicole Kidman works really well with him. She works really well with Robert Downey Jr., who you don't see for so much of the film. He is I know, so it's much just of it his eyes. Voice. 
and his, his voice, mm-hmm. his voice, and it's a very similar accent to he does to what he does in Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> I don't oh, know if you noticed that. I, I find that. that. I, 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 that, that might just be me. And I thought, I'm sure he's using a very, very similar accent. He might not be, but just maybe his, um, cadence a little bit as well, that kind of delivery, um, the tone and, and things like that, the way he just uses his voice and um, maybe not as, as speedily. Oh, but that's interesting. I, I just, I just had these like visions of, Sherlock Holmes, which is also a really good film. I love those films; they're so good. Um, and he's yeah, I was going film. to rewatch them ahead of this, and yeah. um, I didn't have time, but I I do want to rewatch them now. I know they're on HBO Max as we're recording this, but yeah, they, they are great. They're really good. Um, I mean, this is completely <laughs> off topic, but they are so good again. And he has such good chemistry with with Jude Law in those, and they're yeah. just fun, and they're funny, and they're fast, and they're clever. And and I think that's a really, really, really good take on on the you know Arthur Conan Doyle detective. That and I I love those films. I think they're great. But also in this, um, go, going back to to Fur, I just think it's. Um, there's again bringing that vulnerability to the character who's you know it's kind that's very much it's a beauty and the beast kind of film at the same time as it is about diane arp well not about diane arpas per se but inspired by diane arpas because you have this you know it's like la bella and libet and it's not not quite cocteau and it's not quite disney but you still have this this person who is maybe not quite human and it's like he's also is you know is because of his condition and then it kind of unfolds in a kind of romantic way but then it's tragic and then there's just you know is I was at, at first I was thinking well what couldn't remember I couldn't remember this film to be honest because I hadn't seen it for like decades and I was kind of surprised how involved I felt with it and I don't know if that was like that was the imagery um Mm. because I obviously I love Diane Arbus's work and I'm not sure if it was just you know the characters um I just think it's a really beautifully done piece of work yeah, it's gorgeously shot. This was the first time I saw it. And I think watching it another time, probably I wish I could have been watching it with you because I oh. I like Diane Arbus's work, but I'm not an expert and I, I don't have um, the visual memory of, oh, this would go with that. And so I was thinking, oh, this would be a really good one to watch with Sabina because oh. you'd be able to point things out to me, I know. Um, but it's beautifully shot by Bill Pope, of course, who shot like you know, the Matrix movies for the Wachowskis. And then he also shot like some of the films for Edgar Wright, like Baby Driver and so uh, and Scott Pilgrim. So, I mean, the the visual specs on this are really stunning. It's Carter Burwell's music who does, you know, the Coen brothers, uh, so many of their scores. So again, you have these um, really ornate and, it's it's very regal. Steven Shainberg, who um, directed it, working with a script by Aaron Cressida Wilson. They were, of course, the people from Secretary, the director and writer. I love Secretary. I, think I love it. 
stunning, yeah. stunning film. And this kind of had the same sort of trajectory of a woman sort of coming into her own sexually and, you know, coming of age, just figuring mm -hmm. out what's important to her and becoming independent. And this was sort of a similar thing. Um, I read that uh, the Arbus um, estate didn't let them use any of her images, but yes. still it feels like very much in the spirit of her. Ty Burrell is so good. I mean, we're talking about Downey, of course, but um, he was very impressive in this, I thought, because you do think of him as Bill Dumpy yes. and he's doing so much internally. Um, yes, it, yes, it's a real quiet performance. Also, I like the sort of uh, visual thing they were doing where the closer she's getting to Robert Downey Jr.'s character, the more he starts growing like facial hair. And I yes. thought that was clever as it continued on. Yeah. <laughs> um downy yeah it's it's all i am a sucker for like men's eyes on film i write about eyes way too much like people pointed out like oh is she going to talk about eyes again and this is one of those if you're an eye person um what actors can do with their eyes this is a film for you he does so much and that voice of his i mean we see him we just talked about in kiss kiss bang bang how he can let things like roll off his tongue really fast uh this is sort of a slower it's very seductive i mean you can see why somebody would be immediately drawn into him for sure even though like we know it's robert downey jr but just the eyes and the voice and how he sees her is very very attractive yeah he's very good with his eyes in a lot of these films he has these kind of you know beautiful big brown eyes and they just do so much with so many of his roles um and even from even the because obviously there's that there's some scenes when she when the, he's first appears and, and it's just like a kind of a peephole in the door and so obviously we're not even seeing his fur well, to begin with we're just seeing his eyes and I, was that did I make that up or was that not I, was there a peephole in the door or, or not? It, I, I think there might have been. Yeah. I think of the very first scene when when she encounters him. Um, and then obviously, then you you don't have the door, but you have the fur. So it's always <laughs> it's just it's so much um just and again, he's a very still, still actor in this as well. He's very still. still. Oh, that's a good good observation, yeah. Sabina. Yeah. Um, Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I think it's just one of these beautifully internal films and so much mm -hmm. like yearning and so much um, kind of simmering rage with, with obviously Ty Burrell. And you have this, um, you know, it's kind of like a love triangle in a way. It, it, it is. is like a yeah. love triangle. Um, but... I I I think even I really enjoyed the use of um even like the houses. Did you find like even the sets, the the, the way yeah. the houses were filmed? It it was very it was almost being John Malkovichy, but it wasn't it like was. being John Malkovich, you know, not way too, you know. Um it just reminded me kind of 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 the way the the homes were. And I thought it was a really clever use of locations and use of sets and everything is framed to look like you know, a photograph. And I think um, 
it's it's very very well shot um it's not it's not necessarily um a talky film if that makes sense yeah so a lot of it is unfold slowly yeah yeah unfold slowly or a lot of it's a score a lot of it's just you know eyes ambience and colors and eyes and you know beautiful (laughs) sets and and beautiful locations and I like the way it focuses sometimes that the camera lingers on certain things like with um with maybe the supporting cast and and it kind of it lingers in a knowing way to say this is what became a picture this is what Mm -hmm. the picture this is this and it kind of I like how it points you also in that in that direction it just it, it doesn't it it doesn't feel rushed everything just kind yeah. of unfolds slowly and it's I more think natural that, yeah yes yeah and I, I I do think it's it's I'm always a little bit dubious sometimes about artist biographies or mm-hmm. films that are inspired by artists yeah I agree with you because they can get so much wrong yeah. but I think because this is saying well it's not a biography it's just inspired by it and and also it was based on a book oh in spirit of her yeah yeah so and I think um because it was based on a book and obviously that so they're not saying well we're not doing a straightforward biography we're doing an interpretation or we're riffing on a book um and I think because of that that's probably that's why also it's it was so effective um but I I think it's it's a really um a really interesting one and i think it's it's one of these um works that maybe people don't associate with either nicole kidman or or downey as much as maybe they should um i suppose in some respects it's it's more similar to when nicole kidman did the hours when she was playing virginia that's a good one yeah it's very similar to that kind of role um so I think maybe if you liked her in that, this would be definitely one to, to yeah, seek out. For sure. Well, this brings us to a masterpiece and what I consider to be David Fincher's best film, 2007's Zodiac, based on the books Zodiac and Zodiac Unmasked by Robert Graysmith, who's played by Jake Gyllenhaal in the movie. The film chronicles the manhunt by police, reporters, and Graysmith's San Francisco Chronicle cartoonist alike to identify and apprehend the Zodiac serial murderer who terrorized the greater San Francisco Bay Area during the late 60s and early 70s, taunting police and newspapers with letters, ciphers, and even blood-stained clothing. Still one of America's most infamous unsolved crimes, the film makes Graysmith's case for who he believes carried out these killings, and it's an exhaustive, engrossing, authentic, spellbinding exploration brought to life by a remarkable ensemble cast, including Robert Downey Jr. as reporter Paul Avery, Mark Ruffalo, Anthony Edwards, Elias Coteus, Donald Logue, Brian Cox, John Carroll Lynch, Chloe Sevi- Savigny, how do you say her name, by the way? Is it Chloe? Sevigny, I think. Thank you. Okay. (laughs) Chloe Sevigny. Oh, I say it. (laughs) Great. Chloe Sevigny, Ioni Skye, Philip Baker Hall, and Dermot Mulroney. 
my dear friend Blake Howard has released essentially the definitive podcast study of the movie in 24 parts, including interviews with screenwriter James Vanderbilt and actors Donal Logue and Ione Sky, plus critical assessment by many, including yours truly, called Zodiac Chronicle, that I highly encourage people listening to check out. But I love the film and I'm so excited to talk to you about it today. So let's start. Tell me about Zodiac and RDJ as Paul Avery. Oh, masterpiece, isn't it? This yes. what can you say? Masterpiece. You you you've got it in one. Yeah. Um, also, so many of our favorite boys in this. Um, so like true. Everyone, I know the entire cast. It's like who's the yeah. casting director as our taste in men, basically. Yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's. I've I've seen this film so many times. I last watched it at the New Beverly when I was in LA, and that was just a wonderful, wonderful experience because I'd never seen it on a big screen before. I'd only ever seen it at home. Um, I watch it a few times a year. Oh yeah, I love this film. It's probably my go-to film for like, well, I, you know, I just want something to fun and not light, but you know, easy, <laughs> easy yeah. for us. For us, it's kind of like a just you know an easy breezy film. We'll put on Zodiac. Um <laughs> so I just, it draws I just you in. It. Like it if you want to be distracted or you yeah. want to be like like your mind keeps going too fast. You're like, I need to focus on something else. Yes. This is good. Yes. This is good. I I think this premiere did it premiere at Cannes, I believe. I think it had a screening at Cannes when it came out, and okay. because I remember reading a an extract from somewhere, and I think it was I can't remember which journalist it was said, um, you know, obviously the cast is fantastic, and there was, and yeah. then it said Downey should guests should be committed should be charged with grand theft larceny because he steals (laughs) the scene from everyone he is acting opposite and they say you know he's he's acting against some very you know some big hitters here not to say he's not a big hitter either Mm -hmm. but he just steals every single every line of dialogue he says every time he's on screen just he is just he draws you he draws you to him um oh yeah you know obviously his um you know he he covered you know for this he's is the you know he has a significant role in that um he crime reporter yeah he covers crime in Vallejo um (laughs) I love that I cover cover crime in Vallejo yeah Yeah. you feel like that was an ad lib to some extent you feel like like was that yeah did he put that in or was that in the script um you know my two favorite two of well I shouldn't say my two favorite total but two of my favorite lines in the movie both have to do with Vallejo they're um you know Robert Downey Jr it does feel like a an ad lib you're absolutely right he's like in the newspaper meeting and you know I cover crime I cover crime in Vallejo you know like forgetting that that's what he does and then um Donald Logue has my other favorite which is you know um I don't know I don't work in Vallejo I work here which is like perfectly bitchy on the phone with the bureaucracy of the different departments and I am butchering uh my friend Donald's wonderful delivery but you know (laughs) it's 
it's just, it's really funny that Vallejo becomes kind of a really good punchline uh, twice in this movie, I think. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, and the movie itself is like a cipher of a, it's a cipher of a cipher because obviously you're having all these communications going back and forth yeah. between every department. And but have you done that? Oh, no, you need that against, you know, it, it, the law here is this. You can't do that because you're outside this, you know, jurisdiction. And so it's such a, interesting you know puzzle of going back and forth and going between every kind of you know you have the, you have Mark Ruffalo and Anthony Edwards then you have like the meat you know the, the yeah I like department. that it's duos yes yeah and then obviously you have Jake Jiddenhall he's just has this kind of progression from being like the cartoonist to being this obsessive, yeah. absolutely obsessive, you know, losing his mind over this case and losing jeopardizing his family over this. Um, mm -hmm. But I also feel I wonder, I love the scene in the bar with the, with the, um, the, the what well, I forget, forget what drink is it? I do too. Yeah. It's the blue yeah. drink, you know, the, what yeah, are you drinking? Gosh, yeah. Yes. Well, I forget what the, the drink is called. I said, like, Oh yeah. You wouldn't knock it till you try it. And then, then you, he's you, drinking you, it. Yeah. <laughs> they have all of them on the table and you fit, you wonder if aqua velva, that's it. Aqua velva. Aqua velva. Okay. And, um, you what you feel again like when he takes a sip and then he takes a, a big gulp and you think was that part of the script or was that just something to you know when you're like and he had to yeah. do it like 80 times because it's david fincher yeah well of course yeah yes. <laughs> that's so true um but again it, it's just these again the we were talking about the verbal you were talking about the verbal dexterity of, yeah. of downey and in in this he's very you know riffing he's very you know everything yeah. and I know that's part of the character he's playing but you just feel he's so you don't feel like he's someone who'll get tongue-tied during a role he might do but no. you, you yeah. don't think you think he would find a way not to or you wonder if if he would to forget any of the lines if he would just go with what's in his head or just go with what he thinks is best he just seems to have this knack for figuring just, out what to punch. Yeah. Yeah. And he's and and he's so good. Whenever he plays opposite of the characters or maybe people he knows, you feel they're kind of looking at him in a way to say, Did you, you know, what did you throw that in? Or did you you feel yes. like sometimes there's a bit of amusement there with whoever he's acting opposite oh yeah absolutely on the plane yes the that's, scene that's, on the plane yes. where he's like uh bringing up that you know we're all going to the same place like saving money on a cab and you <laughs> see a couple of them like look at Downey and just like almost trying not trying not to laugh but like kind of getting a kick out of him yeah and just the freshness that he's able to inject into some of these line reads when you do think you know my god it is venture so they keep having to do this over and over and over again is just very impressive I love um you talked about you know Gyllenhaal's character and the evolution of him changing over the course of the movie well you see that with Avery I mean he was somebody who seemed like he, he enjoyed drinking it's kind of a stereotype of the hard-nosed reporter who's got an alcohol problem and then he eventually succumbs to um which is kind of a recurring thing with a lot of these downy 
characters, unfortunately, as the film goes on. But just the way that he is still able to figure out what parts of lines to hit a certain way, like Mm -hmm. when Gyllenhaal comes to see him and try to, you know, almost draw him back into the Zodiac case, uh, like somebody should write a book. And then Downey replies, like, somebody should write a book. That's for sure. A book about what? You know, and it's just like, (laughs) like he's trying to get involved, but but he's not quite got that thing. And um, yeah, I, I love this performance. Yeah, it's 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 even the way he's so um, physical, not necessarily physical, but the way he like, he he just inhabits the role as a, of a reporter in the stereotypical way of feet on desks. I'm just going to, I, you I know, I am. Um, where he opens going, the, uh, yeah. yes, the bloodstain and his reaction where he's like, is that a, yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And just the way he kind of holds court when you first see him at the beginning. He's yes. like, the, you know, he, he's there and they're all gathered around him. And then you have this sense that for this film, especially because it was, Obviously, this was probably the one that oh his his was this before Iron Man or after I can't. This was before. This was before. You have the sense, I think, for this one, it's like okay, he's back. He he is he back is really now. back. He's yeah. back, and um, he has you know obviously the first time you see him, he has like you know his colleagues around. Um, he has his colleagues around him, and so you just you get the sense he's whole you know he's holding his own he's holding court he he's not necessarily the top build here but he is the focus of the film for so many viewers he really is um, he's delivering so much important exposition but doing it naturally like explaining that you know dave toski was um somebody who inspired bullet like bullet didn't mm. you know he didn't take it from bullet he took it from toski like he's giving us some really vital information into who these people are, but he's doing it in a way where you almost feel like you're hanging out with Paul Avery and you, you feel lucky or you, you sort of feel like um, you would understand the charm that would draw in uh, the Gyllenhaal character as under his tutelage, sort of like he's the, the way Val Kilmer is to the Downey character in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. It's kind of that here, like Paul Avery is that way for the Hall character mm-hmm. a little bit mm-hmm. in their relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. Yeah. It's like the, the you know, the torch has been passed kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> in <certain aspects. laughs> but it's, it's just such a, just, just, I think just everything, as you say, it's just everything about this film is just, is just so, so good. And, um, I I just yeah I don't, I think we're gonna we always have a hard time like criticizing and think about this film yeah exactly there is, it's you know, you a film <laughs> yeah. a film there's no weak link um oh. every everything is is so good the, the soundtrack's good everything's good um yeah you can't really listen to Hurdy Gurdy Man again no. the same way yes. <laughs> yes. Which um, I love because you know that's Ioni Sky's dad, yeah. <laughs> Donovan. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Um, it's just great. It's great. It's great. He's great in this. Um, and yeah, this was one. He's back. He is back. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, finally, we have Iron Man, which launched Marvel and put Downey on a whole new stratosphere of superstardom. Sabina, why don't you get us started on that one? Okay, um, so obviously, as, as Jen said, this was the, the film that launched the MCU, the Marvel mm-hmm. Cinematic Universe. 
Um, so Danny Stas is a wealthy industrialist mu- um, slash musician, munitions expert, Tony Stark, or well, I like to call everybody's favorite genius billionaire playboy philanthropist. Yes. But, <laughs> yeah, he had to get that in. Um, following an assassination um, attempt, which was ironically by one of his own weapons, an abduction by a terrorist group called the Ten Rings, who demands he build them the powerful Stark Jericho missile. Tony Stark forgoes the demands builds himself a mechanized suit of armor escapes from captivity and becomes a superhero the press dub iron man (laughs) so that's essentially the gist of the film and um it was a character obviously it's a character created by stan lee um the comic book character um it's I think it's one of the best films in the MCU. I I I really like this one, and I really like I I think this one, Iron Man three, are the best two Iron Man films. Even though I've come to enjoy number two more and more, um, there is such an kind of almost innocence with this one, despite it being very technology laden. Mm-hmm. You know, you haven't got. This watching it now, you haven't got like obviously the Stark tech of them, the nanotech of the later films, and it. I miss you watch this and you miss. I'm just someone who's seen like <laughs> not so much the recent ones, but I've seen the whole of the, you know the phase one, two, and three, and you miss that clunky Iron Man suit that Tony, you know, <laughs> the first, you know, the first suits yeah. he manufactured. That's how you know noises they make that clunk. Um, obviously, Tony Stark is a character who, on paper, isn't the most likable. He profits from war. Mm-hmm. He builds weapons. He's cocky. He's you know. But it's Downey, and Downey can charm anything. And yes. he does bring uh, the humour to, to Tony. He brings um, personality to Tony. He brings a warmth to Tony, because I've always found that Tony, even if he's with someone like um, who would not necessarily have been shown respect, he is. he does show them some kind of respect mm-hmm. um i find that i think that with with obviously in, in this in this first in iron man with with someone like um the character of yinson who helps you know obviously who's i agree with you virgin, yeah. his captured with who who saves his life who puts in you know his chest what later becomes the arc reactor he's he says you know he asks him what's your name it's good to meet you um and then later on, obviously, in, in Avengers Endgame, that with Nebula, he's, who's someone who's been told that she's a waste of parts. Obviously, she's been manufa- manufactured by Thanos mm-hmm. to be his, his, you know, his daughter. But she's constantly, you know, belittled by him. And and there is, and Tony shows her some, you know, compassion. And and you know, you see that reciprocated, you know, in return. Um, so as we've been saying, obviously, his his own troubled past, his vulnerability, and he brings all of this into Tony. 
Um, he brings, you know, he says at one point, I'm not the hero type, clearly, which was very much a case of, you know, reference in the past. The final line that spun what the MCU as we know it was his own doing. You know, I am Iron Man. That was that was not in the script. Oh, was, that was it? Just, That's no, brilliant. I, that's it was they were doing the scenes and i believe that john there was one scene john favreau said just just say whatever you want kind of thing um and he just threw that in and they were like oh okay this could get interesting if he reveals who he is Mm -hmm. because obviously superheroes keep themselves under wraps um so you feel that he really really shaped obviously he shaped this character as we've come to know it he he kind of shaped the mcu from that from that point um the tone yeah the tone of it of these superheroes you know their identities are known which was such a you know at the of the year of the time it was such a you know new thing um he has such great chemistry with gwyneth in this because you don't think of Gwyneth Paltrow as being someone who's kind of, you no. know, she's a bit, she's a bit of a art house. Yeah, she's art house, but also she has, you know, people have their, you know, Serious. opinions, yes. uh-huh. yeah, opinions about her. Of in in, but in this, they seem wonderful. To- She's wonderful. She's great as Peppa. I think she's. I think she's really good as Peppa. But you, th- you wonder if that was also because of Downey being Downey and being who he, he got is her in it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He's the one that talked her into it. I love the line he gave her, which is like she said something like, "I don't do you know comic or I I don't do these kind of movies," and he said something like, "Don't you want people to see your movies?" I mean, you know, and they knew each other well <laughs> enough that he was able to kind of say that. Yeah. But you know, and she thought, "Yeah, I would like people to see yeah. my work," and yeah. uh, she's wonderful. They have a good chemistry here. Um, I love the way that Pepper kind of, you know, she has a, a strong role here, but it, it gets better throughout the series. Yes. I haven't seen all of the MCU films. I had been re- wanting to rewatch. I remember really liking the, I think it was the Captain America one. So I was going to rewatch those. Yeah. yeah. But I love how um, originally, like John Favreau said, he sought inspiration from like Tom Clancy, James Bond, and RoboCop kind of thing. He was going for more of a spy movie feel, or that was his idea. Um, this one is kind of missing a super strong villain. Like you do get that it's going to be mm. the Jeff Bridges character, but it kind of comes out a little bit late. So. For the first hour, it's kind of a hangout movie a little bit, but yeah. the reason it works so well is because of Downey. Yeah. Yeah. And he's Down- just playing it, it feels very much like his alter ego, kind of. Yeah. Very yeah. much so. And you feel that it's funny when it may be some parts that maybe shouldn't be funny. Yes. He does make them funny. Um, it was it's even like when he's he's obviously showing the the showcase for the Jericho, which yeah. led to his capture, he's he you know lifts up a thing and a bar pops up and he says you know I'll throw this in with orders every order of five million or something yes. like that and it's just it's just funny it just seems to be it's like it could come across as cocky he and I know a lot of people do 
don't like him because they they don't like who what he stands for and they do think yeah, he's yeah. cocky. But I find him funny in this. I think he's good, and I I think especially in this one, um, he does he does inhabit the role of the playboy, which obviously he gets more serious as he goes on. He gets more troubled in the films as he goes on he gets a lot get, darker by three gets a lot of, yes yeah. of three you know the ptsd of like yeah. obviously going into kind of being sucked into a black hole come you know is 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 haunting the Avengers. Yeah. yeah um so it's his you know and then obviously he has this whole sort of redemption arc um that's you know, and it all stems from this one because the I, you know, I I don't think it's a spoiler in any way to say how the the, you know, one of his most famous lines of dialogue in this the I am Iron Man line comes up again in Avengers Endgame to mm. perfect to perfect you know, bookend um that you know parts of the these feel that you know to bookend that closing segment of of this section of the franchise um and i think i think he'd won a lot of people over by the third one he made not the third one sorry he won a lot of people over by endgame that maybe weren't you know all in on him on tony stark as a character in these early ones because he does come across as very cocky his his actions have repercussions and they have consequences not very good consequences but you get the sense everything he's doing he's doing it out of he's trying to do something right but yeah yeah sometimes then obviously things don't work out in that way but I always find it interesting how whatever happens in these films, everyone seems to like him. Even if they've had a falling out with him at some yep. point, they all come around to him. And it's like there is that's some moments in, in um, Yeah, that's him. Yeah, that's him. And there's some moments you see in Endgame when obviously he's had this, you know, I know we've gone from one end of the spectrum to the other, but you, you have these moments in Endgame when, um, you know, he's had obviously he's had this falling out with <laughs> Tony Stark's had this one out with like you know um Steve Rogers, and then you have these moments of like when Chris Evans looks at him with like smiling, and you're like, is that are you looking? Is this Chris? Is this Chris Evans looking at Downey, or is this <laughs> is this you know Steve looking at Tony? Because you get the sense of like, okay, yeah, you you are good, <laughs> you are good, um. So, but I, I really, I like in this one. I think it's nice that for such a kind of tech, this, you know, obviously this character is a genius. He's a, he's a brilliant, brilliant mind. But it feels the most kind of sophisticated technology in this film, apart from his home with all the gadgets and stuff. Is a smart. Is like it's not even a smartphone, is it? It's like a sidekick or something. Was that is that a smartphone of the of the time? You know, it doesn't feel like. Mm-hmm. It just seems like there's so much technology, but it's in in more the character and in his home rather than like everyone on the street with their smartphones, which kind of happens as you go on with these films. Um, so it just seems like uh, almost innocent by comparison. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, because- no, it, it, I, it really does. Mm-hmm. It It kind of seems like before they made them 
so techy yeah. essentially even though he's playing like a tech genius yeah um what i love too is a lot of that did come from downey like he had an office next to john favreau's when they were sort of developing this and working on the script together and i know there was some pushback about casting uh yes. downey in the role yeah. Um, but I love his take on it. He said he he didn't want it to be like a superhero as Dudley Do-Right or, or he said, quote, like Elliot Ness in a cape. He didn't want to do that. And also, I mean, as much as I love, especially um, Michael Keaton as Batman, you know, he's a very dour figure. And so mm -hmm. it's nice to have sort of a fun, jokey, like a James Bondy kind of superhero. Yes. But, you know, not like, I mean, he can be a little bit of an asshole, but not like your full on asshole James Bond era. Like he's, yes. uh, it's more like the Roger Moore era of James Bond. Yeah, or even your Brosnan. Yes, and, and I find I found that with with Pierce Brosnan as Thomas when he played Thomas Crown, he brought that yeah. kind of fun to it. Exactly, it's like they're having a great time, and you want to see actors having a great time on oh, screen. Oh, nothing's and better. Want, yeah. It's it's great. And especially when when even the characters are having a great time. Mm -hmm. You feel like it's like, you know, I'm he says numerous times it's, I'm the best. And it's yeah. like <laughs> so confident. But you're just saying you are so cocky. But in a in a way it works. Like, you know, it works. And you can't help but be like, okay, you know you you know so cocky so and so but it's just, <laughs> it does it does work and and you can't help but think okay he is good okay he is yes. good um I remember seeing this in cinema when it came out and oh, obviously too. yep yeah and from the opening bars when you hear like back in black you're like okay this is gonna be good yeah um, this soundtrack's great having um, fun yep yeah and by the end of it you're just like okay this is good you know it obviously had to close with Black Sabbath's Iron Man and you're just like yeah okay I, I'm in yeah <laughs> I'm in I really they've got like us. this <laughs> they've got us I'm gonna watch this again <laughs> numerous yep. times um yeah I just remember coming out soon again yeah that was that was awesome <laughs> I, I, loved it. I, just I remember such... everyone talking about it yeah, yeah. I just oh, had such fun that. with it Mm -hmm. And it's still fun, and it's still fun, and it's be before they got, before these films got too complex. Because sometimes they get a bit, you know, laden down with too many ideas too and too many, yeah, too heavy, and too many things going on at the same time. And yeah, this it, it's it confusing. Felt, yeah. yeah, and you're just like, okay, and this is so. This seems like forward straightforward it just seems non-clustered okay that can be you know yeah. that can maybe be a negative thing to certain aspects of the plot but it just seems like an an easy superhero film if that makes yeah. sense it just no seems, i agree with you yeah it's, yeah. it's a good one it I think, is. And, it, and i think it's a lot of people's favorite iron man film and i think it's a lot of people's you know kind of up there in the mcu favorites before you know obviously before we got too too deep in it but i think it's still a very 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 popular popular yeah. one it still works so well but yeah. i know that's all the films that we had time for today but i wanted to ask if there are any other i mean he's been in so many good ones any yeah. other favorites or just notable performances that you think people should check out who might be listening or yeah. new to downey or maybe haven't gone too deep in his filmography beyond yeah. tony stark 
cool. Um, we well, we, we mentioned Chaplin, didn't we? I come yeah. that on the Chaplin yeah. That's that's good. good. That's really good. I really like the Sherlock Holmes films. I think they are mm-hmm. really good. Um, I I think they're fun, and I think if you enjoyed, if you like kind of Iron Man, that you know that kind of personality, you know, personality to that. I think that's they're really really good. Um. Trying to think of which other one. I'm really looking forward to Oppenheimer because he's in Oppenheimer, isn't he? That's coming out next Ooh, year. I'm really good. looking forward to that. That would be great. Um, yeah, I wasn't a fan of Doolittle. <laughs> no, I, I did not really. even see it. But, but yeah, yeah, um, yeah, you didn't miss much. Don't worry. Um, Wonder Boys yeah. is one. Wonder I Boys, yeah. yeah. There's also, I know it's a bit. People have, you know, either love it or loathe it. Tropic Thunder is an yes, interesting that is a, one. He commits. Yes. Yeah, he commits. Yeah, very Not much an commits. Oscar nod. Yes, um, and it's that is just a bonkers film, but <laughs> yes. yeah, is it not? Is he in Natural Born Killers? He is. Yes. Yeah. He was also in one that I really liked in the 90s called One Night Stand. I don't know if you ever saw that one. I don't think I've seen that one. Yeah, that is um, really good. I'm blanking on the director. Let me grab it. Uh, Mike Figgis made it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Wesley Snipes, Nastasia Kinski, Kyle McLaughlin, Ming-Na Wen, and uh robert downey jr yeah it's a supporting part but he's good he's also good in like u.s marshals which yes became another one he was in two with wesley snipes like back to back um but that one i thought was a lot of fun too i know i love of course the fugitive but u.s marshals was good and yeah so he's had a lot of um cool little supporting performances like you said uh, natural born killers as well yeah Yeah, his his filmography is is great, and it's it's just interesting. To, it's interesting to see the projection he's gone. He's gone from like obviously these eighties kind of you know rat pack era things. Then he did a bit more like transitional mm-hmm. things when he did um um you know you know he had this period when he was doing like the Shaggy Dog. Do you remember the Shaggy Dog when yes. that came out? Yeah, that was yeah. That's always seems to be on at Christmas. Um. And due date was as well, wasn't he? With Zach oh, yes. <laughs> so he yes. has, yeah, such range to his filmographies. But I think, yeah, then he hit that sweet spot with with Zodiac, and then he, you know, just okay. There's been a you know one or two haven't been as you know maybe as successful or as um, as you know we haven't you know been drawn in as much, but. Yeah, I think I think if you only know him from the the MCU, definitely watch Only You if you haven't seen. Mm-hmm. Um, Arbus might not be for everyone, but it's I I really it's like intriguing. that one. Yeah. It's an intriguing one. Um, obviously, we have we we're going to say Zodiac and Chaplin, Chaplin and the Sherlock Holmes films, and because yeah. I think they're they're good fun, and I don't even think you need to be. Big, they're very Guy Ritchie because obviously Guy Ritchie directed the Sherlock Holmes on. So if you like kind of Guy Ritchie, yeah, you know, his aesthetic, like, yeah, yes, very much so. It's like it's very much like um, a Guy Ritchie film crossed with Peaky Blinders. If you ever, if you ever watch Peaky <laughs> Blinders, it's very <laughs> That's much a good description yeah. of that kind of ilk. 
Um, and, you know, you never know, we might get a third one of those. We'll just have to see. Yeah, time will tell. Well, Sabina, I want to thank you so much for doing this. It was such a pleasure. I have the best time chatting. So thank you. No, thank you so much for having me on. It's been great. Yes, you'll have to come back. Think of another great topic for us. Ooh, fun. Yes, yes, we said that. Thank you. I also want to thank everyone for listening, especially my patrons who support the show and help fund my research equipment, film rentals, RSS fees, and more for as little as a dollar per month at the Film Intuition Patreon, which is the home base for the show. Other ways you can support the podcast are by sharing, reviewing, and subscribing to Watch with Jen wherever you get your podcasts, and also checking out the cool merch store hosted and created by our talented logo designer, Kate Gabrielle. You can find the merchandise store, including shirts, tote bags, stickers, and more by visiting filmintuition.com and clicking on the shop link. The show's theme music is solo acoustic guitar by Jason Shaw and is available in the free music archive. You can also reach me or interact with Watch With Jen anytime on Twitter, either at Film Intuition or our Watch With Jen account as well. Well, until next time, please take care and happy movie watching. This is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen.